Hello, everybody. We are back. It is Monday, January 2nd, 2023. Hope everyone had a happy new year. But celebrations aside, it is time for us to kick off the new year the right way. That's right. It is finally time for us to talk about what really matters. Probably the most important thing that has happened last year or has happened this century and will continue to happen as time advances forward. That is right. It is finally time for us to do Avatar The Way of Water. So I'd just like to begin by saying, listener, is there any of you out there who doubted Big Box Office Jim? Is there anyone left on the planet Earth who, who has any doubt about Big Box Office Jim? Box Office Jim cannot be doubted. The haters have been conclusively silent, and that Avatar, both Avatar 1, Avatar The Way of Water, and the next bunch of Avatar movies that he's currently working on are not to be doubted. They are to be embraced as the uh, paradigm shift in humanity that they represent. There's some bitch-ass hater that I was talking to uh, after Avatar Way of Water's opening weekend where he, he was saying, oh, they missed expectations. Oh, it's, it's going to be a bomb. There has been zero drop-off week to week in Avatar. I mean, the first weekend to the second, obviously, because the first was a half a billion dollars, but no drop-off from second to third weekend. Unprecedented. This does not happen, folks, in the modern blockbuster era. Only Big Jim can hold huge numbers of people coming to see a movie back over and over again. The vast majority of blockbusters that exist now in the IP era make their nut in one or two huge open, open, uh, first weekend and then like the first 10 days, basically. And then they basically have to take their money and run because everyone has done their fucking their jury duty of, of tropping in and seeing this fucking thing. <laughs> Everybody who feels like they have to because that's it, obligation only. Fucking Jimbo puts a movie out there. People got to see it. They got to keep coming like the fucking field of dreams. They have to come and they have to keep coming because it makes them feel something that they cannot feel, literally cannot feel anywhere else. Uh, listener, you know, rest assured, we would be talking about this movie, taking it seriously and, you know, uh, evangelizing it if it was a megaton bomb or if it is in this reality. Just a, just a, just a little B.O. for you. This is the updated three day weekend estimate from Avatar The Way of Water is sixty six point eight million dollars. Updated four day weekend estimate, eighty six point three million dollars. Estimated total domestic gross through Monday stands at four hundred and forty four point and then $4.2 million. So, look, the haters have been silenced. Uh, oh, oh, well, Avatar has no cultural resonance because I don't see any memes about it. Of course you don't because it's in a theater for longer than a day. You can't put together a, you can't put together a Jake Sully fan cam because, or, if, or if you do, it has to be recorded off your phone in a movie or taken from like a, like a cam rip with like a, you know, Russian subtitles or something. Right. This is, these are not, this is not like a movie by, you know, the Russo brothers or someone like that, where frame by frame, everything is engineered and sent to a, a, a sweatshop filled with slaves to determine the memeability of every individual line of dialogue yeah. and frame. This is a movie about love, but also a movie about the dictatorship of the, of the third world proletariat killing to their white surprise. <laughs> the Colonel Quadriches of the world. Well, it's, it's, it's blue time. surprise now. Uh, <laughs> <all right>. yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> much to his blue surprise. But the, the <laughs> movies that they talk about, like, oh, it had, there's so many memes from Glass Onion. 
Glass Onion is all memes. The movie is a pre-digested slurry of already conceived memes. Every line of dialogue is a tweet. Of course, there is, of course it's disseminating that way. That's what it's meant to be. It's meant to reassure you that all of your opinions are correct. All your precious opinions are right. And so, of course, you can go and repeat them. Hey, look, these guys agree with me. Avatar, when I saw it anyway, it left me feeling this ache, this lack, this absence. That's not a thing you can meme. That's right. not something that you can turn into a, a chirpy little gif. Right. When Ryan Johnson sits down to write one of his blockbuster hits or couchbuster, because they're all on Netflix, he 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 you know he goes to one of those websites, you know one of the one of those Indian websites that's like the thirty five best tweets that summarized de- December, and he finds all the tweets. All of them, all, all the tweets by late night writers, all the tweets by the Andrea Cork boards of the world, all the things that used to be on BuzzFeed, every, you know, 120,000 like banger shit that's like, um, I wish you could get a grade from your therapist. He takes all that in, <laughs> takes all that in, and he writes a script based off that knowledge. He's basically, his mind is a neutral bullet processing processing the <laughs> memes of the elder millennials so yeah. his movies by the time you get them it is you know you're you're digesting something you're digesting a bird pellet of course yeah it's you, already been you, processed yeah by the time you shit it out it's like oh uh, what a, what a surprise um you know there there's a thing that um bennett goodrich or whatever the fuck daniel craig's character in those movies is called said that matches this exact news cycle but that you know what? okay he is a processor a processor of culture james cameron creates culture but more than that he creates longing he creates yes. a generation of people that include you me and all the listeners who will kill ourselves to be friends with tolkien yes i, I mean look the movie honestly should have been called the way of the whale but we need we need to build to the Tolkien. I will just say, uh, James Cameron is one of the one of the last men standing. He is a visionary. He is using the power of cinema to create an immersive emotional experience that, taken in whole, amounts to an attempt to save humanity, to 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 say something important, and to to, to inaugurate a, a a a shift in consciousness in human society on a global level. And he is doing that with these movies. Benoit Blanc just goes, oh, uh, Mr. Musk, we all bear witness to your corn carbon, sir. And we all, and we all, we all clap like seals for that. But, uh, and moreover, uh, my ice must be destroyed, sir. <laughs> <laughs> no, Nap- uh, James Cameron is Napoleon of our time. And if you say, you can point out correctly, uh, the Napoleon of our time makes movies, Yes, that's not an indictment of James Cameron. That's an indictment of our times. That that's the only place that you can actually assert that sort of will to power is in make-believe because all of the avenues of real uh, uh, subject-making have been uh, algorithmized into, uh, into paralysis. We can't do that stuff anymore, but we can try with all of our fucking might to make people relate to this world differently. And that's right. What does that make Ryan Johnson? The Adolf Hitler of our time. <laughs> I don't like to, I don't I don't like saying it any more than you like hearing it, but it's Look, true. It's diff- Adolf it's Hitler, truth, folks. It's just the yeah. truth because all our output is entertainment, and that is the kind of movie that Adolf Hitler would make, where the white man's actually- always right. 
Get Benoit he- Blanc. <laughs> I wonder what that name means. Shit, you're right. I say he's worse than Adolf Hitler. But um, <laughs> right, just just a little bit like. Let, 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 into the assessment of the movie itself, you know, we get, we, we, we gave the BO rundown and, you know, I did my part because to prepare for this, I saw this in theater, 3D IMAX. Well, first I saw it in the Dolby IMAX and the Dolby Atmos surround sound system, which was awesome. So I saw it twice in the IMAX 3D the movie theater experience. So I'm, I'm doing my part. But, you know, as research for the film, very similar to the first Avatar episode we did, I did see the second movie on just a little bit of Mushrooms. Just enough to make it, uh, just to add a little, little something extra, you know, not to trip hard because, of course, you know, I take my I take my role as a film critic seriously. I wanted to, you know, be locked into the movie and not like disassociate from reality. But excellent experience. And then, okay, just straight up, let's talk about the movie itself. My 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 general impression of the movie, my review of the movie, is that it surpasses the first one in every regard. And this is, and you know, you know my feelings on the first one of these movies. I thought that this was a sequel that builds and expands on the first one, but is, is in, in every respect superior to the first one. And that is no knock on the first movie. Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know. I think it was always going to be better than the first movie because the first movie had the unfortunate, uh, the, the job of trying to explain this and explain this type of movie yeah. to the audience. It yes, was, yes. You, you know, there hasn't really been, well, there certainly had never been a blockbuster where the audience walks out cheering for the Taliban in 2009, so to speak. <laughs> but there also had not been a blockbuster like this in Star Wars where, you know, you're introduced to a whole new world, a whole new lore, a, a whole new language. You know, there was Lord of the Rings, there's other shit, but those were either, you know, pre-existing media properties or nowhere near in scale or ambition as Avatar was. It had... Uh, the original Avatar is pretty long, but it has to spend so much time explaining yes. what it is while still being a great movie, obviously. But like that, you're right, Felix, the, the yeah. first third is very much uh, uh, it, it's it's about Jake Sully, the human being, and then introducing the concept of like the Avatar body, and then like you know what what is Pandora, and uh, there, there's a lot of like it, like whereas the second one, the plot just starts right away. Yeah, it just starts, because, and there's yeah. there's no more. They don't have to introduce you to this concept anymore. They're like, oh, there's Jake, there's Blue Jake Sully. Also, don't even remind people. Just draw, yeah. like, oh yeah, right. hey, uh, yeah, remember Grace? Well, I'm not gonna fucking hold your hand, bitch. You saw this movie. Don't lie. Well, there there is not to get too ahead of ourselves, but that that is something I love about this movie and love about the character of Jake Sully that they are able to do more so with the second movie, and it's something that we see very early on in the first ten minutes. I, I made a note of it. When uh, Jake Sully talks about how um, when they go out and they see some, you know, beautiful wonder of the, the world of James Cameron. Uh, this is our date night, you know, just a little bit away from our kids. The point of that being, though, that Jake Sully is just sort of a dumb dumb. Yeah. There's yes. nothing really that special about him as a character besides maybe his bravery or his compassion. The point of Jake Sully, which, you know, hopefully you got this message in the first Avatar and they definitely hammered home the second one. It's not that Jake Sully is this unattainable, special Kyle Reese as character that you can never hope to be. It's that any any of us dum-dums can be Jake yes. Sully if we exhibit the right compassion, togetherness, and love of the world mm-hmm. around us. 
And I mean, this is very much where the uh, how we kind of like um, summed up the uh, the first Avatar in our in our last Avatar episode. But it was the thing that um, hung me up the first time I saw Avatar, and I thought the weakness of the movie was like Sam Worthington and Jake Sully being just kind of a zero as a character. But the fact that he is, as you said, Felix, nothing special. He's not even he's not even the guy. It's his twin no. brother that's supposed to be sent to Pandora. He's just some guy, just like every one of uh, every everyone else who finds himself, um, you know, basically by accident, uh, reborn into a new body on this new planet. And then the end of Avatar is about he, he's nothing special, but what, what he but what he has is that he made a moral stand against everything that he ever uh, believed in and was a part of. And in order to do that, he had to, like, his human, his human body had to die to be reborn into freedom, into, an, into this angelic, uh, like, life form, and to be free and, uh, like, you know, live on, on, this, on, in, on this new planet. He had to die. He had to make a stand. And the, and the last scene, last shot of the first Avatar is his eyes opening. Yep. And, that, like, the idea is that Jake Sully is you. You're yep. nothing special either, but you're part of you. But you, like Jake Sully in the first movie, are part of this world destroying system that is like you know, like uh, that is ending human life and ending all life on this planet in the, in pursuit of profit. I remember one of the one of the knocks on Avatar the first one is oh sure the the the, the white interloper he's the one who's able to ride the Toruk he's the guy who can ride the big guy oh one none, none of the native Navi could do it. No, all the Navi, of course, they wanted to. They wanted to save their their village. They wanted to save their society, but only Jake Sully knew what they were in for. Only yeah. Jake Sully mm-hmm. knew the stakes, because they couldn't. They were, of course, unhappy with these humans showing up, but they could not imagine what we were capable of. Only Jake Sully knew what we were capable of because he had seen what we did to fucking Earth, and so he's and- the one who could go and do the insane, dangerous thing of riding the goddamn Torek. So like and 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 this this is and this is where the Avatar: The Way of Water begins. You know, some years have passed since their their victory against the Sky People at the end of the first one, where they kicked him out, sent him home. But we all know this is just this is a a, a brief period of peace because you know, like the the humans are coming back. And Felix, you you allude to there. You know, we see Jake Sully now has a family, and you know, honestly, a huge strength of this movie and something that I wasn't anticipating is that it is mostly about Jake and Natiri's children. They are, they are basically the main characters of this movie, so a good part of this movie is focused on teenagers, which is usually, for me, the kiss of death for any movie. Awful. Mm. However, in this movie, Killed I found Indiana all of them... Jones. I, <laughs> I found them, uh, like, you know, authentic, credible, and, and not grating in the slightest. And so distinct see- characters. Like, I don't even remember mm-hmm. the names of either of the brothers... And you can say, oh, that's because they're stereotypes. It's like, well, yes, but all characters, when you have this kind of a palette of storytelling, are going to be archetypal, like the, <laughs> the, the responsible, you know, uh, 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 heir, and then sort of the a little alienated second son. There is a reason that it's like an eternal fucking structure, but the thing is they're embodied authentically. You believe they're kids, even though they're blue and CGI. Right, uh, right. So, just, wait, just, like, just like the, the, just like the literal CGI itself, just like how it has a weight and a gravity to it that other CGI does not. Yes, you know. Okay, Cameron. The thing that makes him special, the thing that makes him a true auteur, is not that he, you know, decides to transcend or, uh, or, or, or or contradict the art form. It's that he takes the art form and does it better than anyone else in the world. 
And with this, he took the YA format and did a better <laughs> job than anyone else. Well, you know, and like, and like uh, the knocks on the movie about like, oh, like uh, these are or the first movie too. Like, oh, these are just these these are tropes. It's like, oh wow, you've you've identified a trope. Congratulations. But like, of course, they're fucking tropes. Tropes work. That's why the story has resonance. And now, you know, and, and a note on the special effects. The special effects, which I honestly I can't even call them special effects anymore. This is just like this is just reality. Um, make the make the first movie, which looked incredible, basically like uh, a proof of concept for what he does in this movie. And you see, like that incredibly rare thing, Avatar came out highest grossing movie of all time. The fact that Jimbo had, still had the ability and clout to not have just like a second one out as soon as possible that he took thirteen years to fucking do this and you see it on screen every second of the movie he took his time to fucking do this and and like that is why it looks so extraordinary and you know and like a little little prelude to the movie we see you know uh jake and natiri and they're they're living their lives in the forest they have a family now they have uh they have two sons uh they have a daughter of their own and they have an adopted daughter who is the sort of um parthenogenic <laughs> christ-like uh a virgin birth that was uh that was uh that was um that was uh the, that was was uh, uh grace is uh sigourney weaver sigourney she tried, weaver's she died, avatar she, yeah she died trying to transfer her consciousness at the end of the first one into her avatar like jake did but she was too weak she ended up her spirit went into awa into the tree and then so they just had this uh avatar in a tank and then all of a sudden it got pregnant they don't know who impregnated it. It was pregnant, and then it gave birth, and it's a little, it's a little Sigourney Weaver. And, okay, you know, okay. There's been a lot of talk. There, there, there's been a lot of talk about you know community and togetherness on Pandora. Okay, the one Navi that knocked that <laughs> dead Avatar up and gave us this Sigourney Weaver child, that guy is out of the community. That guy is out of the vision of the future. You're a little too weird if you did that. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I feel like you sorry, know, not in my vision of the future. Uh, like you know, her progeny is not is is not explained. It, 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 that that is an that is a question that it remains open at the end of this movie. And you know, like like I said, I think I think it's heading in sort of a Jesus. Like she is yeah, the Jesus definitely. Christ of Awa. Uh, yeah, like like, like she, she is the vir the virgin birth of the the physical manifestation of Awa. And then they have like a sort of a like a fourth kid who just sort of like is in the crew spider who's a human a white kid with dreadlocks which again i thought would be really annoying but you know i kind of fuck with spider spider was cool and spider is you know the the apparently in this universe you cannot put an infant in a cryo uh, stasis to send it back to earth so like he was an infant at the time of the end of the first avatar movie and like he's a teenager now and he's just sort of part of the crew he, uh, he sort of wants to be Navi. He paints himself blue. He wears a loincloth, runs around in the jungle. And people pointed this out about the spider character. It, it, it exists, if not for any other reason, um, it is just a flex for Cameron. Because if you see these beautiful uh, Navi interacting in this jungle environment and running through the forest, and like you said, Felix, there's a weight and like light and shadow, and it all feels real. But if they're all Navi, then you're like, okay, what I'm seeing is 100% digital. But if they just include a human actor and like their body and movement and performance seamlessly integrated into the into the other bodies and spaces in this fucking movie <laughs> is such a stunning. And it's like you don't even notice it. And like that's how impressive the uh, the the visual effects work in this movie is, is that you don't really even notice it for the most part. Like I said, there was no part in my brain where I was like, oh, well, that was a really good special effect. I'm like, no, this is just reality. This is a dream given given form. 
Right. And, okay, it's special that he's a white guy with dreadlocks because it's not just any human, you know, where, where you're, you're doing that tech demo. It is a human that in real life, if you saw this person in real life, your attention could would not be taken away from them. <laughs> it's someone, someone that is in the center of every scene of your life, the white guy with dreadlocks. A classic so, American character. So... That's that, that, that sort of sets the stage for like the the little prelude is if we're reintroduced to the planet of Pandora and the Navi people and what these characters have been up to, and they've, what have they been up to is just being happy, having a life, starting a family. Then, of course, that ends because the human beings come back. They're on date night, and their little their little uh, their, their their little night away from the kids is interrupted because they notice a new star in the sky, and that can mean only one thing giant human colonial ships decelerating after making the years-long voyage across the abyss of space to just, you know, if you thought they were done with Pandora, wrong. They're back. And I would really like to talk now about the truly, I think maybe my favorite scene in the movie, or truly one of the most powerful moments in the movie for me, was that very early on in the movie, the scene of humanity coming back to Pandora. And I actually uh, we talked about this a little bit with uh, Ben Clarkson, our uh, genius animator who did a Chapo Ball Z for us, among other, among other great works. But that scene, like, it basically sums up the stakes of the movie and it sums up the entire first movie, we just all visually. This movie, it, it really makes you realize how truly gifted a visual storyteller Cameron is. And you really realize how much of filmmaking has lost that ability like how much information he conveys with just images. And for me, like the image, like the, the image that was just so powerful and so horrifying were these like arcs for, uh, like from the human spaceships, these arcs that are lowered into the atmosphere from orbit. They lowered into atmosphere and just scorch the planet of Navi. And, and Clarkson described it to me as like a birth scene because it's almost like they're like these arcs are being um uh, sort of a, emerging from between two legs kind of but they have like these enormous like monolith like arcs are lowered from orbit onto the surface of pandora and just it's like a nuclear blast just just incinerating square miles of jungle space i don't know if you guys noticed this but in that scene you see all these jungle animals shrieking and running as they're consumed mm -hmm. in this wall of flame and among them was like the really scary like alpha predator like junk like tiger type uh, Pandora creature from the first movie that was so scary and menacing. They're just all like running together in their their death throes as they're incinerated by the birth of the human species on Pandora once again. And it's a, it's a profoundly and again it's and like the arc opens up and like the mech suits waddle out of it and these huge bulldozers. And like each one of them, like as it lands, just clear, just clear cuts everything around it. And it's like this cancer that will be the beachhead for humanity's reconquest of the planet Pandora. And then like that's essentially where the movie begins. It, we jump ahead another year in time and uh, Jake Sully and his family have begun, you know, once again, their insurgency against the human presence on Pandora and this, their exploitation of it. But. Then we are introduced to Miles Quaritch, played by Stephen Lang. You may remember him as the bad guy, Colonel Miles Quaritch, the bad guy from the first movie. Wait a minute. He got killed at the end of the first one. No, no, What's no, my friend. Here? Yeah, no, he's not dead. 
he he's back in Avatar form. <laughs> so basically, what happened is they, they explained this uh, right before the battle at the end of the first Avatar. Colonel Korich has all of his memories downloaded into like a thumb drive, and <laughs> and and sent back to Earth just as like a backup. So he died, but like you know, hey, he's an investment. So what do they do? They create a Navi body for him and download um, his all of his human thoughts and memories. Uh, like up, to, so he has every thought and memory he had up to the point of which the copy was made. But he doesn't remember his death because like it wasn't part of the backup. So like Jake Sully in the first movie, he wakes up now on Pandora in his like eight foot tall Navi body, and it takes a second, and then you realize that this is now all part of you know, the, the human conquest of Na'vi because, like, you know, they can't breathe the air. And also, um, you know, like, each one of these military, uh, these jarhead assholes, this is a big investment in their training, and they have in-country experience. You know, like he says, we, we need the saltiest operators, you know, the saltiest on-world operators. And, like, as he's explaining to, like, all the, all the, mur- the jarhead assholes who were killed in the first movie, it's just, no, like, they've just been rebooted as even more... Uh, uh, you know, an even more uh, powerful and dangerous adversary, because as Quaritch says, you know, you've got their speed, their endurance, their agility, their strength, but with like all of the fucking uh, training of like a recon marine. You know, a and powerful combo. All of them dressed up. That's a potent mix. All of them dressed up within the dickhead operator fashion I of the twenty first century, mm-hmm. because Matt, time I love sticks and does not progress. We are. The Hegelian bad infinity. That's what is our pursuit of individual ego extension into uh, in- eternity is what that's what creates a culture that cannot move forward. The guy's got a no fear tattoo. It was I, 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 I love I loved this plot device, too, because it, it's it's like Cameron's nod to the U.S. military naming its hardware and its bases like the Apache helicopter. Yes. Yes. All the helicopters like are named after Indian tribes. Yes. Black Hawk. It, 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 yeah. Yeah, Tomahawk missile, Apache helicopter. Yeah, yeah. His his genius interpretation of America wearing the skin of its <laughs> murdered, murdered, genocided races. Yep, and contrast their outfits. Like, remember we talked about how the 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 vital contrast at the in the fight at the end of the first one between the Navi fighters and their like feathers and jewels and like they're all looking like these you know embodied beings again. And all these bug humans all dressed in the same fucking like plate carriers and here you have these gorgeous navi just looking like youtube assholes who are going well we're going to test the kimber uh, 1911 today with giant oakleys <laughs> they fought, they they made the yes. giant avatar Oakley, oakleys right the, the tactical operator gear worn by Cornish's and his crew i thought was such a good detail and it just it was so evil it was it was such a it was such a blasphemy because they all look like, oh, God, they all look like such operator shitheads, but they're eight feet tall and blue. And like you said, Matt, are wearing oversized Oakleys and have fucking the, the worst tattoos ever. So, like, they, they get to be Navi, but they're still Marines. Yep. A potent mix indeed. <laughs> um, so, like, okay, so Quaritch, you know, he's in country now. And, you know, he has one mission. The same one he had fucking 18 years ago or whatever. Kill Jake Sully, leader of the Navi resistance. And, you know, they go into like, you know, the the, the human, you know, colony on Navi is this like huge industrial city. And, you know, like they're just, you know, like it's a, they're just getting ready to, you know, just just pillage this planet. But then we meet. I don't know if you guys, you know, I don't know if you guys soy faced as hard as I did when when Edie Falco shows up in this movie. <laughs> but yes, she she is the general now leading the the human uh, conquest of Pandora, and she's introduced in this, you know, 
uh, spry and very, very, very flexible and fashionable mech suit. And I, I, I really like this because I, I, I found the, the mech, uh, the mechs in the first one a little too clunky and boxy, whereas these ones are very lithe and like flexible. And where she's introduced and she's like working a heavy bag with mechanical arms and like walking around on stilts. But then she starts talking to Korik and she's sipping coffee. And she's like, she's using her, her human arm to use the motion of sipping coffee, but her mechanical arm is holding the cup and daintily allowing her to have a little <laughs> sip of coffee. And that, to me, summed up all of Cameron's sort of interests and fetishes uh, quite nicely, is yeah. sipping coffee with a robot, perfect robot <laughs> mech arm. Yeah, for uh, mech aficionados, the difference between the mechs in the first film and this film is the difference between Armored Core and Zone of the Enders. Got it? I'll take your word for it. Take your word for it. <laughs> and... <laughs> Edie Falco, um, she explains to Quaritch that, yeah, like, you know, you're, the, the, the mission is, you know, like, uh, uh, Sully and his people have been, like, you know, the, we see them attack a, a, a maglev train and looted of weapons, you know, like, they've been, they're, they're, been, they're you know, mounting an, an effective and disciplined resistance against the human occupation. So, you know, his message is, uh, to, you know, his, his mission is take out Jake Sully. But also, we're introduced to, like, the ball has been moved forward in the time that has passed between, these, between the first movie and the second. Because what she tells him now is that, like, this isn't, a, this isn't just a, a military uh, providing security for a mining operation anymore to, to get unobtainium, the, the mineral of the future. No, this is all now a military operation to colonize Pandora, to make it Earth 2, because we fucked up our own planet. And to do that, as Edie Falco says, we got to subdue the hostiles. So it's no longer about, oh, the, we have to stop the hostiles from attacking the mining operation. This is about we are taking over the planet. We are, we are, we are colonizing Pandora for human uh, immigration, colonization. We're taking, it's, it's, it's Earth now. We need it. Wait till Felix gets back. Uh, I'll just say uh, while we're waiting. I thought the subtle but persistent uh, use of coffee among all the occupying yeah, Earth forces. coffee when they blow up the home tree. They're always, the all the military earthlings are always consuming coffee which is you know i think uh of something very intentional that's both a stimulant something that we extractively take out of uh you know often um exploited uh third world i, I don't know if that's the right term anymore uh countries i think it, it's something that he's very much uh commenting on specifically coffee and it and it and it emphasizes the banality of american office culture and how like even yes. in this amazing place you're still just sitting there with a desk like that asshole the Giovanni Ribisi playing fucking putting green in his fucking yeah. office. They should put Lorelai Gilmore in charge of the human occupation of Navi. <laughs> of the Pandora. Coffee, 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 coffee. <laughs> that um, lady loves coffee. Yeah. All um, right. So, so like, so then like, you know, uh, Korach and his people, you know, like uh, they, they, they set out into the jungle to uh, track down Jake, Jake Sully. And what do you know if they're lucky enough to come across Jake Sully and his kids who are out? Um, no, no, Jake Sully's kids who are out exploring in the jungle. And, like, they get the drop on them. And then, but also Korich uh, goes back uh, to the scene of his own death and discovers his own body. He, he looks at his own skeleton riddled with arrows. I thought that was a very, a very interesting and profound scene as well. Um, but, you know, uh, of course, like uh, 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 Sully's kids are, are, are saved by Jake and Natiri. Um, but, you know, he re they realize that that Quaritch is back. He's he's now has a, his demon form and that that it, he's aware of where they live. And, you know, like and he's going to track him down. So they have to leave. 
they have to leave the forest people because as long as they're there, uh, Korich and his people are just going to keep attacking them, keep coming back. Like they're the threat to to to, to the people, to the people of the forest. And they got, they, yeah, they like they just got a they got a light out. So they they pack the family up. You know, you you cram everything in the, the your dinosaur station wagon. You, you cram all your stuff. It's time time for a trip. You know, kids are going to be. Are we there yet? And and this is of course you know like what, what the way of what this is where they they seek refuge among the sea Navi, which is really this is what most of the movie is about. This is there's forest Navi. They live in the jungle. But then there's this like the whole other biomes and, and ecosystems on the planet Pandora and that have corresponding Navi to go along with them. And uh, uh, shout out Cameron from uh, Pot About List. He had the, uh, the best uh, review of the way of the water, in my opinion, where he said in the first movie, Cameron showed us the forest Navi. In this movie, he showed us the ocean Navi. In the third one, he'll just show us the normal Navi who like live in houses and drive cars. <laughs> 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 Avatar 3, The Way of the Automobile. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they have to come to, uh, you know, they have to come as a family to this new community as outsiders and just sort of being like, hey, hey guys, can we crash here? And, you know, like, uh, you know, there's a little bit of a little bit of a culture clash here, you know, because uh, they they have uh, their tails are too small. And, you know, like the sea people Navi have big forearms with like fins on them. And and and, and like. The children of the ocean tribe leader—they have bus and haircuts. They and, do. They've got. Know, they got Zoomer haircuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Talk about time standing still. They do all look like uh, TikTok Bradens. <laughs> and you know they have to. They have to learn uh, the customs and the because you know like uh, as as the leader played by Cliff Curtis and like the, his wife played by Kate Winslet as well. You you may have missed that in case you you know you uh, weren't weren't aware of it already, but. Uh, that's another thing about this movie. Even more than the first movie, this movie really contains all of James Cameron's interests and previous movies in one movie. Oh yeah, and Kate Kate Winslet's presence is just but one hell there. We can we, we can discover a few other threads there, but as the the the, the leader of the Ocean Navi uh, tells Jake and his family, you know, uh, we will teach you our ways so you don't have to suffer the uh, embarrassment of being useless. So that you know, the first movie, hey, gotta learn how to fly a fucking pterodactyl. This movie. Well, there's all kinds of new shit you can ride. They got, you know, dolphin. Uh, they got they dolphin, got they got dolphin cars. They got flying alligators. And then, of course, we will get to the whales. But uh, the Tolkien's folks. I want to talk about uh, the whole kind of middle, the, the middle part of this movie. It's just sort of, um, again, like for a, a, like, for like a, a box office blockbuster movie. It's insane to me, like, how much of the middle third of this movie just really slows down. And it just lets you just spend time with these people and their lives. And, you know, like, obviously, this is a, this is a, a you know, uh, a demonstration of all the amazing, like, underwater, uh, the, the portrayal of an underwater environment in this movie is just, is stunning. I mean, it's incredible. Like, I mean, most of the most memorable things of this movie are just like some sort of little, some sort of like jellyfish that you just see in the corner of the screen just dart away. And, Jake and, and his kids, they have to learn how to like they learn they have to learn how to ride a dolphin or like the, the, the Pandora equivalent of a dolphin. And if you're if you're an adult, you get to ride the flying alligator. And let's talk about um Sigourney Weaver in this movie. Sigourney Weaver, it a fascinating performance from Sigourney Weaver, again, a James Cameron mainstay. But in this movie, she is playing a teenage version of herself. So this is Sigourney Weaver 
playing a teenager, but like herself as a teenager. And she did like she does a different voice and everything. And I don't know. I just thought it was a very interesting performance. But we also get to be we also are, are given hints that uh, the sort of uh, the, the Jesus Christ of Awa, there's a little something more going on with her. She has a connection to the, 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 the living neural network that is Awa and the planet of Pandora that's a little bit different. She like she doesn't need to use her tail to sort of port into things that there's she's a little bit a little bit witchy a little bit hippie a little bit she's a little bit weird a little bit out there yeah but there's she's something on, going yeah, on she's with on her. air she's on airplay not even not even <laughs> uh USB C. it's like the new max how you can do the backup just by putting like, them next to each she, other when she wires into the 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 the, the global hive mind underwater uh, she basically she she meets her mom in Awa, who's of course she's still hanging out there because that's where you go. Uh, but then she all it also she gets she has a seizure she gets overwoded basically like that's yeah. how that her she has a different brain. And then Norm, remember Norm? We all love Norm. Uh, he's the human who still has an avatar uh, and stayed with them. He comes along. He comes to check her out when she has her thing and tells him she has epilepsy and that there she's got the brain structure that gives her like you know religious visions and stuff so and then later on in the movie she shows that that isn't just like a uh, a subjective experience it has uh, influence uh, influence on the things around her so yeah she's, yeah, she's definitely note that, not uh, Paul Schrader and Martin Scorsese's last temptation of Christ also implies heavily that Jesus Christ was epileptic yeah <laughs> take take that for what it's worth I but, do. Yeah, I, I mean, so I, I I I do think that is of a piece, though, right? Uh, yeah. Sigourney Weaver's character being reborn as a teenager, but now with these religious connotations and this like this sort of holistic connection to the the spirit neural network, but also Quadrich and, and his Marines and their rebirth. Uh, there is there's a there's a major theme of just everything keeps going. Time is a flat circle. And that can mean that if you dedicated your life to benevolence, if you, you know, if you were like Sigourney Weaver's character, a pencil pusher for the Fourth Reich and ended up giving your life to turn against them, that you get to live forever as this uh, this sort of childlike, innocent version of yourself with major implications for the survival of the species that you gave your life to protect. But also, if you're Quadrich, and if you are these uh, forthright stormtroopers, you are forever condemned to be a Nazi, to just have yes. your conscience recycled into new Nazi bodies and yep. new yes. Nazi missions and committing new atrocities forever and ever and ever. And That's... to look at your own arrow-riddled body and, and your own failures again and again and again. Yeah, yes. Hegelian bad infinity. It's like the two ways to to deal with the reality of of infinity and eternity is you can accept that it is a cycle, it is a continuation continual circle of rebirth, or you can insist that it is uh, a straight line. But if you try to make it real, and that is this human society in this in these movies has killed its biome in pursuit of human immortality. What is that? That is being the same asshole and suffering for it forever. Oh, and that all comes together. We'll get to it when we get to the Tolkien. But, like, why are they wailing the Tolkien? Remember? Yeah. Yes. So humans no, that's can live forever. Human immortality. That's genius. It's an immortality yeah. potion. The, 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 these beautiful whales that we'll talk about, that, the, that they're also hunting. They're, they're killing these gorgeous creatures because inside their brain case, which, their brains, which are larger and more complex than human brains by, like, many factors, 
contains uh, goop that makes humans immortal, that stops the aging process, and is worth like uh, every every whale is worth like a hundred million, you know, space dollars, whatever the fuck currency they have at that time. <laughs> it's a lot, whatever <laughs> it is. Um, but before before we get to the way of the whale, though, there's uh, one more thing, one more aspect of the plot. Um, in the initial encounter between. Uh, Sully's family and 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 the reborn Quatrich, a spider, the human child, is captured by the Marines and taken back to like the human settlement, and then m- much of this movie also suggests many parallels between like they are sort of like the uh, gothic um, doppelgangers of one another, mm-hmm. Jake Sully and Quatrich, because they're both Marines, but what are they also both fathers? Mm-hmm. Spider is the child of the human body of Miles Quaritch. I mean, that, that we didn't see any evidence of that in the first movie, but, like, uh, he, he's dead, and then the son that he had on Pandora has been raised by Jake Sully and, and the Na'vi and the humans that, who chose to stay behind because they, they were allied with the, with the Na'vi. So that um, Spider, who, like, wants to be Na'vi, is now thrown in with these um, the, the demon Na'vi, the marine Na'vis, and this guy who he's never known, who's like his dad, but not really, because he's an eight-foot-tall blue cat demon. Um, so that, like, yeah, like, he, he becomes sort of their, their like, he, he has to embed himself with Quaritch and his squad as they go native and hunt uh, Sully and his people. And, you know, like, it's sort of like he's getting to know his father and he's getting to know human beings in a way that he really hasn't had before. So there's a question of, like, uh, a divided loyalty or you you know you wonder like uh, wh- where he's really going to land here because he, you know he's never really felt like he belonged among navi but he sees human beings in the way they are and like what he knows of them and he's horrified by them and, and rightly so so like okay the forest Navi in the first movie, like they had their animal kinships, they had their their animal vehicles and animal friends that were very important to them. And we, we, we see in the in the ocean Navi, you know, they have like they have these very sleek, not really like dolphin, but it's the closest thing I can say. These very like sleek underwater motorcycles that they're just jetting around on. And then they have like these things that are sort of a cross between a flying fish and a crocodile. If you're you know a, a little bit if you're a, a warrior, but more importantly, there are the Tolkun. And this is introduced when uh, this Jake Sully's second son, the sort of the one who is not the good soldier, not the eldest son, the one who doesn't always do what dad tells him. He's always causing trouble. He's always messing up and feels like a, a kind of a failure and a fuck up. He's, he's sort of a little bit of the black sheep. He is, uh, you know, trying to ingratiate himself to the ocean, uh, the ocean teenage, the bussin teenagers, <laughs> and they take him the, out the of the. Bussin teenagers make fun of them because not only do they have uh, narrower tails, they can't swim, that can't push, propel them through the water. They don't have the fins on their uh, arms. They also, the Sully children, because they're the sire of a uh, a avatar and not an actual Navi, have four fingers instead of three. Yeah. Yes, that's like the that's the mark. Of, they have well, they have five fingers. They have four, you know. Prime, oh right, one, five, three, yeah, one, four yeah. fingers and a thumb. Sorry. Um. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. They they keep saying like you know it's the mark of the demon, you know, to have to have five fingers. So that you know they're sort of they're sort of demon kiss. They're sort of uh, uh, abominations. If you're if, if you're a more orthodox traditional Navi, if you're not reformed Navi, you know, <laughs> having five fingers is like you know being uncircumcised or something. <laughs> And prop, props to props to James Cameron, a non-Navi director, for tastefully 
addressing Navi colorism. <laughs> um, so like the 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 the, the bussin, the zoomer teens sort of trick him, and they just sort of they they ditch him uh, outside the sort of like the the safety of uh, the reef uh, to go hunting or whatever. And then of course he he finds himself in deep shit as like I don't know. <laughs> Like some sort of uh, a shark with like a three pronged jaws, essentially. This is a huge fucking ocean apex predator nearly uh, just swallows, just fucks his shit up bad. He's just like pummeling, just barreling through coral reefs, just like relentlessly trying to get him. And it's like, it looks like it's all over for uh, the, the second sun until this gigantic Pandora shark is fucking pancaked by an even bigger Pandora whale that comes out of nowhere and just flattens this fucking thing. You know, and then the, the, the uh, what's it? Lotax? Lotax has been reborn on Navi. <laughs> no, that's hey. this, I don't remember the boys' names at all. I had to differentiate them because from the necklaces they wore. I could tell them, the thing yeah. is, I, it didn't matter. I could tell the difference between them. And I knew they're distinct characters, and I cared about whether or not they got eaten by a shark. And then when one of them met Payakan, Tolkien, I cared about their friendship so much okay, that so I care about their friendship. So this is really, li listeners, this is really where, like, the, the emotional core of this movie, they're truly, like, for me, like, the most profoundly emotionally affecting parts of this movie were about the relationship between Lotax and Payakan, the renegade Tolkien. <laughs> Lotax he, he is finally a, he, fixed search. <laughs> <laughs> he takes and he goes he goes into the forest. And he leaves the forest and he goes to the sea and he and he discovers this amazing Navi fruit that can fix all of their problems. It's called Mangosteen. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like his life is saved by a whale, and uh, like he just like they, they just start hanging out and talking to each other and just well, part of it is that just chilling. Is that Payakan has a giant harpoon in his fin? Yes, yes. And and Lotax takes it out for him, and that's yeah, the thing like, about Payakan. He's all scarred up. He has he has the harpoon, his and his other fin is, like is cut off. It's but like, then yeah, he is uh, helped. Like it's the it's the you know the uh, uh, the, 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 the mouse pulling the mouse. The, 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 yeah. the pie yeah the, the sliver out of the paw of the lion yeah. The amazing scene of of them just playing together <laughs> and just swimming and just having fun together and just like. Just bonding the bros. kids call it. Bonding. But then we find out that, okay, we need to talk about this. Then we find out that folks, folks, the Navi and the Tulkun, they've been very unfair to Paikun. They've treated him very badly, folks. Very badly. He's been outcast. He's a renegade. <laughs> he's been made, he's been shunned by the, the Tulkun whale society. Why? Because he because the people got to know. Because he was a communist. No, no, it's be it's it's because he 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 used violence because he he did violence. He went against the, the way of the Tolkien. Yes, the Tolkien way is of of radical and total pacifism because it is implied in the movie that the whales are much smarter than anything else. They're the smartest species on the planet, smarter than humans, and they of course have come to the rational conclusion that all violence ends up being worse worth worse than it is worth to do and that the sacrifice of not doing violence in the long run pays off so they enforce through social discipline which is the only thing you can have absent violence uh, uh shunning if you do violence and the thing about what we find out is that payakan what he did was he led a pod of like the younger whales to fight 
this whaling fleet that the humans have brought to Pandora to kill the whales so they could suck the immortality juice out of their brains. And that's when he gets the harpoon in his thing. But then after that happens, and the, many, the Tolkens are killed, humans are killed, and the Tolkens say to him, you got to go. Look, it's the rules, you know? And, and, uh, and the Ocean Navi, who they all have their own, like, spirit brothers and sisters among the Tolkens. And every, like, season, they will come to their reef, and they'll all hang out. They have a fucking cookout with the Tolkens. Like, hey, they, they like to say, hey, what do you, how's your week? How you how's been? your year been? What's going on? They and like I, that. I, they I, have I really a little chit-chat. Powwow. I really liked it. In the uh, when they, like the party when they all come back and they get to hang out with their like whale brothers and sisters is like the daughter of the ocean uh, tribe leader is of course like she she kind of have a hey, she kind of has a crush on the on the second son Lotax and she goes to her whale sister and she goes so I met a boy <laughs> <laughs> so they're able uh, to yeah, tell like, him the blue the, the other blue night when he tells them hey I met this cool uh, a whale guy they're like oh dude oh don't know yeah. He's outcast. I'm sorry, man. He's outcast. You can't bond with you can't bond with the outcast. <laughs> and there, there's a part in this movie where out of nowhere, um, Lotax is talking to, is talking to Pykun, and when he first meets, he he talks to him, and you just see Pykun's like eye looking at him, and then like and then uh, as, as the relationship develops, he's asking him like you know how how did you get the these scars you know what happened, and then like the second or third time they talk out of nowhere, Pykun just starts speaking in subtitles. And he yep. says, what, ha- what happened to you? Like, it's okay, you can tell me. And Pykin just goes in subtitle out of nowhere. It's too painful. That's right, and, bitch. Folks, folks, I was, I was bawling. I was in, <laughs> I was, I was devastated by that. It's just too painful for me to talk about. And it's about, and then eventually, of course, they do, he, he ports into to, to the whale. He, he got Jonah-like. He is consumed in his, giant baleen and then like unfurls his uh his ucb cord and then he experiences <laughs> the, the memories of like his memory as a child of seeing his mother killed in front of him by human whalers <laughs> bro bro i i was like these demons they must die all of them <laughs> for what they did they're they are not making it out they are not making it out <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and, how how does a movie make you cheer for the extinction of humanity in the age of space travel? <laughs> this is how this takes a shit all over Bambi. Yeah, <laughs> put these two scenes together, and it's like whatever, you dumb bitch. <laughs> Who cares? Who cares? I hope that hunter made sausage. But you show me this scene. You show me this scene. I am. I'm. I'm poisoning my town's water reservoir. <laughs> So then we get into the uh, the Moby Dick part of this movie because, uh, like, basically, like the the the, the humans the, the, they get some fix on the coordinates of like you know the the they they have a general idea that Jake Sully and his family are are hiding out in this like uh, chain of islands, and like they're gonna go there and to go there they sort of commandeer a whaling vessel and they bring Spider along for it and like a good part of the movie takes place on this futuristic basically the a futuristic james cameron pequod yeah and i would just like to talk now about like cameron's fetish for like futuristic military robotics technology really really shines folks this whaling they, okay it's like there's the whaling mothership which is like a hover which is like a hydrofoil and it can actually even like take off as a plane and fly very low like you know very, very, a very low altitude and then just sort of land on the ocean uh, surface 
and there's these huge hydrofoils, and then it just sort of like unfolds and opens up. There's a, a harpoon boat. There's sort of like speed boats. There's crab mechs. Crab mechs. Crab mechs. I almost crawled out of my seat when they, he unveiled crab the mechs. crab mechs. They're personal submersibles. And then we're also introduced to uh, Jermaine Clement's character, which is a, an odd choice for him to be speaking in, in an American accent when the captain of the whale boat is like, all right, listen, mate, we're going to we we get somebody. these bloody whales. <laughs> we're going to get them. And okay, but I want to talk about the Jermaine Clement character for a second because I thought this is an interesting character because it's sort of a mirror with the uh, Sigourney Weaver character in the first movie is that he is essentially, he's a human marine biologist who is a scientist who studies the um, marine uh, life forms of the planet Pandora and the Tolkien specifically. But he's only doing it. He only has a job because his knowledge is useful in exterminating them and sucking out their brains to make fucking immortality juice for humanity. He is aware of how intelligent and how, how big the minds and how deep the reserve of emotional and uh, emotion and memory that these, 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 that these living self-aware beings have, but just has to watch them be butchered by these fucking tattooed shitheads for money. And the, and the most emotionally affecting scene in the movie for me is when Spider has to watch them do a whaling. They, 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 they whale a pod of whales and they just zone in as human whalers do on a mother and her calf. Why? She won't leave because the, calf. the mother will never abandon the calf and it makes her easier to kill. Once again, I was like, uh, they're, they're just hell, they're, they're like, there is no redemption for what they did to that fucking whale mother. And her calf. I was dying. I was think, fucking dying. And think for what? Not, immortality. Amazing. But for who? They, may, they stress this is the most valuable stuff of the universe, which means that it is keeping the richest people on Earth alive. Imagine these scumbags that are going to be kept alive forever off of this. Imagine who gets this potion. Like uh, 22nd century Sheldon Adelson gets to fucking get the Pulp Fiction <laughs> injection into his heart and live forever. As a disgusting golem, because it just stops aging. So you know these gross old people who've had like seventeen thousand plastic surgeries, look like Kathleen Hellman in Brazil, are just going to live forever <laughs> as these horrifying golems. And uh, that's what we're getting for the death of these creatures. And you know, Jermaine Clement, like he has guilt about what he does, but like I mean, like to me, like that is a stand-in for you in the audience. Like he. He's aware of the evil that undergirds the, uh, everything about our life and economy and like our comfort and, and, and jobs and everything. He's aware of it. But what does he do about it? He's like, I drink. Yep. That's how I deal That's with it. That's why I drink. Because I'm just like, because, you know, like, unlike Jake Sully, like he has not yet. He's not willing to, to sacrifice his life. He's not willing to. You, you have to be willing to, to, to abandon everything you are and everything you ever will be or know or have to have any hope of escape. Yep. Um, and then, I don't know, like just like all the details of how they kill this whale, like they fucking oh, yeah. they, 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 they got they it all set up. They hit it with the harpoons. It. They hit it and with the harpoons. Sonic have these quick ex sound cannons, uh, buoys that like pull him to the surface. Oh yeah, like they, like like they hit it with a harpoon that explodes into these huge like fucking airbags to pull it up to the surface. And of course, like uh, the the Quaritch character makes them do this because like usually they whale way further away from like Navi settlements because like they know if they kill one, it's like it's on sight. It's on site. And the whole point is, like, they do this because, like, they, they want them to attack them because they're going to draw out uh, Jake and his people. And, like, what do they do? They kill, like, the best friend of, like, <laughs> Kate Winslet. Like, you know, yep. her sister. They fucking butcher her and her fucking baby 
So like from then, it's just it it it's on. It's it's worn out. Like it, it's there, there. There's no peace. It is it is time to attack. There's no more of this hiding out or like no like they they killed our brothers. There's only one thing for them: death. They like they must be killed. You know, which takes us to the climax of the movie, which was just just thrilling. I mean, I got it's like just. The the attack on the whaling boat, man. Like I don't even know where you go with this. Oh my just, god! It, it's like a somebody, forty minute scene. The battle between this is just it's just astonishing. Somebody, somebody has pointed this out. I forget who it was, but uh, they pointed out that between these two movies, there are approximately fifty shots of one of those gigantic fucking navy arrows going through the cockpit of a helicopter, oh. spearing a guy. And oh. every time it rules, it does not get old. Every time, just this this. This massive concussive eruption of this fucking guy's got a pool cue coming out of his chest. And then it's amazing. I have not seen. Yeah, there there have not been as the only arrow scene I can even compare it to is the end of the movie hero. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. But yeah, no, this climax was okay. I'm going to make a little admission. I have seen this movie twice. I saw it in freestyle. I saw it in. In theaters where I enjoyed the Coke freestyle machine, it was wonderful. But I had to say, I saw it, you know, weeks before because we we had scheduled to record this much sooner. So I did, um, I uh, downloaded, I did a a very legal download of this movie. So I could, you saw it it in the theater. You're you're absolved. Yeah, I did already pay for it. That's true. But anyway, okay, I got a torrent of this movie just to just to you know as a refresher before this episode, and it is first of all it's a cam, it's a terrible cam, <laughs> and not just is not just a cam. Every twenty minutes, there is a voice ad for an India-based cricket gambling service. <laughs> the way it was it, meant to be seen, yeah, and <laughs> it plays throughout this amazing climax. And it made it no less emotionally impactful for me. It was still just as good. I'm still going to go back and watch the worst torrent I've ever downloaded until I can get this on streaming or Blu-ray. Um, yeah, like it's a, it's a, it's a battle between because you know, like uh, the the whaling ship, like they they tag our boy Payakun, and like the kids, they have to go out and save him. But then, like, you know, like, oh, shit, like, th- th- there's a lot of cases in this movie where uh, Jake tells his kids, hey, don't do that. And then they do. And then they're like, oh, shit. Well, his action has to learn now. somehow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's yeah, it's Navi versus versus the, the demon Navi and their and their wailing compatriots. And it's on which leads to, in my opinion, probably one of the most satisfying moments of cinema in recent memory, if not this century. Which is, at, at the exact right moment, when it when it's looking grim for our heroes, that the whaling ship is like you know it's 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 this leviathan of like human technology and industry and and, and everything that represents our boy Payakun on the bottom of the ocean. He spins around. He 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 he, char- he charges up an R two attack, breaches the surface <laughs> of the ocean. And fucking belly flops onto the deck of this whaling ship, crushing Amazing. about a dozen guys at once, just scattering cranes. Just the whole fucking ship just is like half sinking. He's just flopping about on the deck of this fucking ship, just smashing shit up. People are screaming, "Oh fuck! Oh god!" It's just—it's so satisfying. And then the uh, the 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 
the Ahab character, the head of the Pequod, he spins back around with the harpoon boat, and it's got this huge, like, rocket-tipped harpoon right at the front of it. And he's like, bring us around for a short. Bring us around. <laughs> and, you know, it's a whale on the deck of this ship, so you think it's, like, vulnerable. It's just sort of, like, thrashing about. And he comes up close to it. He aims the rocket harpoon right at its head, and he's like, I need a good shot. He gets it off. What does Pykin do? He just tilts his head down just a slight bit, and the like the the the, the bone, like the huge armored skull, yeah, right you on the front of his head. You got to hit their underbelly, or they're not going to hit feel it. You got to hit them from the bottom, whether or not armored. He yeah. just tilts his head down, and this rocket fired harpoon at point blank range just goes. Bing, just bounces off of his dome and just explodes elsewhere on the ship. <laughs> Pure cinema. Pure cinema. And then he gets back in the water and the the Ahab guy comes around. And, of course, Jermaine Clement is in the boat. And now he's like, ha, fuck you. Of course, he's also going to die. But, you know, at least he's enjoying it in the moment. But then I thought this was interesting. They, sh- they, they uh, Cameron, it pains to show that, like, as the, as the boat is going is the guy is getting owned like there's a, a a wire that like gets over his arm and then he the, the whole boat like goes over a rock and he goes flying off of the boat with his arm flying in the other direction and i'm willing to bet he comes back in the third one with like a robot arm and a fanatical Ahab desire mode. to kill Pyakon. ahab mode he's, yeah. he's nailing that gold doubloon to the awa earth yep. tree <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah, like, and then like, eventually like the, the, the ocean Navi, like all the, all the whalers are dead for the most part. The, the ocean Navi are like, all right, uh, we did, we did our thing. We're, we're done. Bye. Yeah, we're done. Cause then basically it's just cars with a gun to the head of like Jake Sully's kids. Yeah. So then it's just about, it's about one V one, uh, you know, like the, the, these two sort of, uh, mirrored, the, the mirrored opposites of each other, you know, like the two jarheads. But like both in Navi form, you know, like they they have to have their their, their final confrontation. I will say, um, Natiri, the Zoe Saldana character, uh, she's very good at the end of this movie too. She she goes demon mode too. There's there's a great scene of her just killing like a, a half dozen people, just stabbing them, shooting them through the head with arrows, just going beast mode. And then like Korich has a knife to Sigourney Weaver's throat, and then what does she do? She grabs that bitch ass dreadlock kid spider, just puts a knife to his throat and says, one for the other. And she's and like I, I thought it was an effective scene because like I really bought that she would have killed him, that she was going to kill him. In yeah. That well, but that's because that happens after when they're when the kids are trying to escape the, the boat, her eldest son gets killed. Oh right. Whose name yeah. I don't remember. The good boy. <laughs> the, 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 but the I was still was sad like, when he died. <laughs> you know what I mean? The the way le- the way less interesting son who is just yeah. everything the right way. I was shocked when he ended up dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, so Jake Jake Sol- Jake Sully loses a kid. You know, I mean you know, it was effective. This is a movie about family. It's yeah. A movie about family. When she, when she cuts Spider across the chest, I mean as you said, amazing scene because it, again, you know, you think you're you really buy that she could slit this child's throat, but also Cameron flexing his technical abilities. Not only has he shown a real human characters next to these giant CGI blue guys the entire movie, now he has one penetrate the skin of a real human, and it looks amazing. Mm. It looks great. You completely buy it. So then, like you know. Uh, uh... Jake and Miles, they, they have a knife fight. 
Um, but then this is all as the giant whaling hydrofoil is sinking. We get now, of course, the Cam- another one of Cameron's big fetishes. Um, being in a room on a sinking ship as as it rapidly fills with water. Yep, like we get the, our little Titanic as we talk about there. The, the, the forensics of a sinking ship. Cameron loves that shit. Water so flowing mi- in. Loves there's a water mini ti- there, there's a, a mini Titanic within yeah. Avatar The Way of Water. And, you know... Uh, of course, Jake defe- defeats Miles, uh, who sinks to the bottom. Then, of course, you know, he- he's going to be around. Spider saves his dad. He saves his dad. He drags him out from the bottom of the ship. But then, of course, Jake is also Jake and um, Natiri and their kids are trapped in the in the sinking ship. And you think Jake is going to die. But then, you know, the the prodigal son returns. He teaches his dad how to slow his breathing. And then there's, a, I thought, a really great scene where Sigourney Weaver uses her airplay abilities to like send these streams of uh, sort of bioluminescent jellyfish into the wreckage of the ship to give them to light their path out of this sinking ship and into daylight or into the surface. Oh, and of earlier she has a badass mode where she gets a bunch of giant sea cucumbers. Oh to God, that was good. Some motherfuckers. Oh, that was good. She like, it, like, these big sea enemies like uh, like crush one of the the little like uh personal submersibles. They crush it, and the guys are like, "Mass, we gotta get out, gotta get out." They get out of the hatch, and then the tentacles just grab them. And just, <laughs> oh god, it was great. It was great. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, like, I mean, like that's pretty much the movie. Like, it, you know, uh, Miles, of course, will be back. Like, Spider saves his father, but then rejects him. And is re is sort of like uh, reabsorbed into Sully and his family, and then as Sully says, you know, a son for a son, basically. Like he killed my son, but like I, I have now taken his son as my own, and like he, he like you know, like he lost he has lost his son, even though his son uh, saved his life. And um, then at the end, you know, like they 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 have funeral rites for the uh, the good son who died, and his body is. Uh, absorbed into like in, into Awa, into the, the the ocean version of their 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 spirit world tree. And here okay, like here's here's where I want to end up with like my overarching thought I had about this movie or, or what where I think the end of this movie, what it made me feel. The last scene of the movie is Jake and Natiri, after the funeral of their son, they they tap into Awa and like the ocean people's like world tree. Like like their their port to the like I said, the planet-wide neural network of all life on Pandora. And they poured into it. And in doing so, Jake experiences a memory he has of his son. But here's the thing. It's a memory that his son also has because it's something they experience together. And that when he dies, his son, all of his memories, do not go away. They do not become nothing. They are data that is now housed in this, like, like I said, planet-wide organic network. supercomputer. Exactly, an organic supercomputer, so that the like when 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 they tap in, like when when Jake, who's still alive and experiencing reality as a discrete individual, his memory, like they like him and his dead son, both experience as they did when they were alive a memory that they both had. It's real. It's real because they it's a memory that they both had, and all of, like the record stored in your brain of like. The, the memory itself, but also like the the, the the physical feeling of it is there. And obviously Jake and uh, Nitiri, because they are still like, you know, they are still alive as discrete individuals are aware in this moment that like, this is not life life. This is just there. They're allowed to gain access to something that still exists 
of their son. His memories, his feelings, everything that he is is not is not nothingness. It has been it is stored somewhere. It does not go away forever. It still exists and that they can gain access to it. And I thought I was like I was very moved by that. But also I want to come back to something Felix said earlier on. The thing, the idea that stuck most with me in this movie is the competing depictions of life after death offered mm-hmm. by this movie. Because we already mentioned how Quatrich is in this, like you said, Matt, Hegel's Bad Infinity. Quatrich is able to transcend death, the death of his physical body, because through human technology, they're able to like record and create a backup of all of his thoughts and memories and then just you know, download it into a new body. But that, that is a vision of afterlife in which your, your soul your memories, which is really like, that is what your soul is. We are nothing other than just a collection of memories. That, that, that is who we are and nothing else. That means that your soul is owned forever <laughs> by a military corporation. That is hell. That is a vision of hell that is, in, that is inescapable now. Yeah. Oh, congratulations. There's life after death. But, but what that entails is that you get to be a Marine forever and like you're, you're only alive because there's some utility in killing people and continuing to be a fucking wearing big Oakleys and fucking acting like an asshole. It is a vision of hell as compared to the vision of Ewa and the promise of something of yourself existing that you can be, that you can interact with, that you can interact with the thoughts and memories of people who are dead that are now part of, like you said, a planet-wide, like, neural, spiritual supercomputer of which everything that you ever are or will be, it does not go away, that it still exists and it is a part of a universal chain of being. That we, again, once again, Earth is Pandora. It is no different. And what, and what it suggests is, like the first movie, Jake Sully is a nobody. He's a cipher. He's a zero. He only matters because he is willing to take a moral stand and die for something bigger than himself, which is the only hope of escape. And I think what Cameron is saying is that, like, if we believed in or understood Earth, this experience of reality that we have, you know, when we leave the movie theater, as being part of something larger than ourselves, that, like, our memories, our spirit, whatever you want to call it, that there is something that will exist after our death, that, that, that we will not just disappear into nothingness forever, that we would lose our fear of death, and mm-hmm. thus, in thus so doing, be able to stop the death of everything on this planet. Yep. Because what are we doing this for? We're doing this so that a handful of Silicon Valley freaks can find the singularity. Singularity already exists, bitch. You're living in it. This is the singularity. <laughs> this is There is only one point in the universe. It's the point you're in, you fucking dumbass. And, and, and it's, it's, it has that, that psychotic, literally psychotic separation of the self from everything around it. That insistence that, uh, that eternity... Eternity is only eternal if it's me forever, which, as we said, is eventually and very quickly hell. Even for the rich people who buy the potion, that their life will become to the point where all earthly pleasure, all uh, in all newness, will fade into just dull nothingness. It is that cyclical rebirth that keeps that makes that defines life. And like, yeah, you you can live forever, but only if you let go of the fantasy of living forever. It is your choice. Whether you want all your good memories, all your connections, every moment of beauty in your life to be a moment of eternity accessible forever because it is a part of an, a, an eternity that you share, or 
you can live forever in Call of Duty. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you, and it you sounds, know, that, maybe that, it sounds that's good. That's a very real choice. If you're 15, <laughs> sounds good if you're 15, but if you do it long enough, guess what? It, it gets to be shitty. It sucks. Yeah. It gets bad. And then the thing is, once it gets bad, it only gets worse. It never gets better. It can only yeah. get worse with time. It can never get better. Oh, As opposed maybe, to maybe, yeah. life in a, in, a, in a cycle which goes up and down but stabilizes around a, a, a stillness, a certainty of, of, of an existence of something beyond your fucking self. Although I, want, I do want to call this, I think this is going to happen in the future ones, Quaritch is going to switch. Yes. Because part of what he's trying to get at is that this, you can change, that there is hope for people as long as they're alive to recognize their conditions. And I really do think that Quaritch... His connection to Spider and the fact that Spider saved his life is, is going to be a uh, a bridge that is going to see him. He's 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 uh, going to have a face sides. turn. He's, he's going to have a face, face turn, turn in the next couple of movies for sure. Yeah. But as long as we're talking yeah. about Quaritch, I just like to point out that you know in the first movie, as of the Stephen Lang, a truly great villain performance, and I mean Absolutely. truly great because he is very frightening and ruthless and evil, but also like has credible motivations and feelings for why he does the things he does. Like, I mean, like there is a humanity in there that like that, it, that buttresses his, his, his villainy. And like I said, so many modern action movies, the villains are just not satisfyingly scary or relatable. Or just like, I, I, I thought Quaritch is an excellent, excellent villain in these movies. You know, you I, know what like, the I'm distinction is? Die. You know why? It's because the villains in most shit, their explanation that we get for why they're a villain is something innate to them. Some evil that is innate to their character. And that is alien to most normal people who don't think of themselves as a beyond the pale evil. The thing that is evil about Quaritch is his job. The He's thing that evil. is evil about Quaritch is the degree to which he has been instrumentalized by his society. And then he is a guy with human recognizable human values who, whose values have been warped around living in the society that he lives in. That is why he is, is compelling and scary and evil, but also human. So I think the overall message of this movie is that we is that we must we must befriend whales. You got to get a also, whale buddy. We must befriend whales, but we also need to teach them to kill, kill, kill. That's very killing important. whales. Yes. Whales kill, killing whales is bad. Killing people, it must be done. They they need to they need to, they need to be taught to drink blood. They can <laughs> teach, like, they can teach us so much about the balance of life. And, and the meaning of life, but we can teach them how to kill. We can teach well, them again, violence. The Tolkien way is the correct way. They're smarter than us. They get that. But they, the Tolkien way was developed in the environment of the homeostatic, natural environment of Pandora, the, the, the life they've only ever known. They don't know what humans are capable of. They can't know no matter how smart they are. And so they're not going to violate the Tolkien way because it's the, held them together for, for their entire millennium. Someone's going to have to teach them. Someone's going to have to know, let them know this is different. We have to make an exception because, yes, you need to be able to break the glass in case of emergency. And the token got to get there. They have to realize that. And that is why that communication is the key to anything. And not a time to tell people something or tell them reach, reaching out from a point of vulnerability where you're like, I'm willing to learn from you. I'm willing to submit in some way to to a knowledge of someone or something that is not mine, to accept being wrong, to accept being short-sighted, that is the only way that meaningful, productive communication can occur. 
And that, that's like you leave the theater with this ache. I want a whale buddy. And of course, you know, you can turn it into a meme and you can just be sad about it because there are no Tolkien and we do have whales, but we can't really be friends with them. You know, it, it's hard to do. They want to leave us. They want to leave us. They want to be away from us for very They're sort of flaky. Reasons. It's hard to make plans. But you, but that urge, that desire to have a whale friend, that doesn't just have to sit there. You can do something with it because you're a living being surrounded by other living beings. And you can take that, that desire to transcend a, a barrier and apply it to the relationships that you have in your life. Like that is, that's why these movies, I think, are, if they are at all, uh, are worthwhile. And you might say, well, that's pathetic. We've got all of our hope rested in this megalomaniacs uh, fantasy movies to like slowly recondition our brains until after the fifth one, we're literally like, are, we all go, co- enter a collective psychic break that rests us free from the prison, the psychotic prison that we're in now. Yeah, that is bad, but that is all we got. I'm sorry. <laughs> no one else is coming through that door. No, yeah. The revolutionary proletariat isn't coming through that door. We're, we're here. We are, we are zoo animals, and we're entertaining ourselves at the end of the world. And I would rather have an entertainment that leaves me with, a, with some sort of ache, some sort of yearning that I have to deal with, rather than something that just tells me every opinion I've ever had is correct, all emotions are kind of embarrassing and you shouldn't publicly yes. express them. And any kind of vulnerability has to be neutralized with irony. Exactly. And it, like all the knocks on Cameron throughout his entire career and certainly with the Avatar movies just generally boils down to people being uncomfortable with earnestness. They're uncomfortable mm-hmm. with that. You know, he as big, hard on his sleeve and you can say, oh, like some of it's clunky or maybe you roll your eyes at it, whatever. He believes in and has the ability to because there are people who believe in it, but they have no ability to achieve this. He... He understands that that cinema it creates an emotional experience for you. That, that, that you 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 sit in that theater and you come out and you have experienced an, an you've communed with something with 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 feelings that we all have with the vision of the director. But he creates through like the the medium of a, like a visual storytelling a comprehensive emotional experience. He does like you know he does not just um it is not it is not an experience that just like um shows you or tells you. Uh, things that you already believe or are correct or makes you feel good because you're like smart enough to get it. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, it's big, it's broad. You could say it's simple, but like, no, this is this is about communing with with your humanity that we all share. And a sh- shout out to our friend, uh, <laughs> and you know, it's working because uh, shout out to our friend Paul who said that when he uh, he was as he was leaving the theater for seeing Avatar in the Way of Water, it was a mother and daughter coming out of the theater, and the mother says to the daughter. I can't believe they killed that whole whale just for that little bit of gel. And the daughter goes, Mom, they're doing that right now. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. We're on Pandora, folks. Damn. It, it really makes you think, you know, every li- the biggest libs in liberal-ass Hollywood, their anti-war movie, their typical anti-war movie is called, like, The Good Division. And it's about a group of brave Marines who did the Haditha massacre and weren't given the proper body armor by the (laughs) Defense Department. (laughs) Whereas Cameron portrays all of humanity and the current order, the current way of doing things of our entire species as the Fourth Reich, as Nazis, portraying us doing atrocities that uh, just really aren't shown in big blockbusters being committed by humans unless it's a World War II movie. He really is the father of revolution. Yeah, because, but it's because the humans still have, can be 
they can be redeemed. They can change. Conditions change. And what makes them change? If they stop fucking doing what they're told to do and they stop doing what narrowly benefits them, if they sacrifice something, if they take the risk to believe in the humanity of someone other than themselves, and if they do that, then they can not be uh, an eternal Nazi demon. Like that, that, and that, I do think that that is going to be the story of the rest of these movies is this transformation. I kind of have a hunch that the last one, if he gets to make it, uh, is going to end on earth. That's, that's my, I, I don't know how they get there, but I think it's going to happen. Uh, also there's apparently going to be a uh, uh, red lava guys in the next one. Fire. Very excited Ooh. Fire Ooh. Navi. Ooh boy. Yeah. Ooh boy. Uh, oh, also, uh, yes. Three hours long, three hours and 10. And yes, the middle hour is them just hanging out. It's them hanging out on the reef, talking to the Tolkens, finding out the way of water. Uh, and when it ended, and he goes, it ends again like the first one does with him opening his eyes after the funeral rite and coming out of the port seeing his son. And his voiceover is about how, like, I can't run away anymore. I got to fight. And his eyes open. Yeah. They had just said, uh, here's, you take five minutes to go to the bathroom. We're showing Avatar 3 right now. I would have gone back and watched the whole fucking thing. I would have been like, yes, give me three hours. Give me Jake Sully fighting back against these motherfuckers. Let's do it. Give me the lava guys. Whatever. I just, I want more. This is the Soma. This is, this is the, this is the thing. But that's what makes it not narcotic is that you are left with feelings you have to deal with. And that is productive. I mean, it, it isn't much, but it is literally what we have at the end of history where we're entertaining ourselves to death. And we should, I anyway, feel like there's value to, to reflecting on that, even if, you know, uh, the odds don't look too good. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I guess, like like I said, uh, I guess that sums it up once again, as we did in our first Avatar, Avatar episode. You are on Pandora right now. It's true. This is Pandora. I see you. And yes, we see you. We see you. Um, so yeah, that does it for Avatar The Way of Water. Uh, however, uh, before we end out this episode and you know uh, inaugurate a new year for Chapo, I feel I feel compelled to uh, acknowledge some uh, some sad news uh, that I, I feel we should bring up, and just acknowledge the death of uh, Gangsta Boo. I found out about that yesterday and was absolutely gutted by it. I just want to send uh, from the the Chapo family here just all our thoughts, love, and condolences to her friends and family. Uh, she was. Uh, just an incredible talent, uh, you know. I mean, you can talk about you know best female rappers if you want, but like just an incredibly influential talent in for all of music. But more than that, just in the, in the little bit amount of time I got to hang out with her, uh, a genuinely sweet and nice person. And I, I'm mm -hmm. I'm really sad about this, but you know she she for for someone like her, she was just so sweet and generous with her time, not just with us, but like with the Trillbillies, the amount of people she put on just. And just how nice and cool she was. Uh, like, like I said, I, I, I did not know her very closely at all, but I really enjoyed the amount of time I got to hang out with her just a little bit. Lola changed culture and music forever. And um, this is really crushing for a number of reasons, but it really seemed like she was entering a second act of her life where, you know, through her engagement with, uh, with us, with Trillbillies, she had realized that there were millions of people out there that wanted to hear from her who who, who had uh you know her music had been the soundtrack to their adolescence they'd grown up in the south or the midwest um she was as will alluded to um just this magnetic presence that lit up every room she was in 
um, there's just no way to make sense of this loss. But um, yeah, all all we can say is that we're going to miss her in every way. Yeah, a re- a really sad way to start this new year. I, I you know, I, I, it, it's 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 just it sucks. It's it it was I was really really depressed to to, to read that waking up on January first. But like you know, as as I said, just um just the, the how influential she was um just had like you know the the her DNA is 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 everywhere in contemporary music. You know, as she said, she wanted to be remembered as you know the, the first lady of crunk, the first lady of three six mafia, the first lady of rap. I mean, how about just first lady of the United States? <laughs> Gangsta Boo, you'll be you're I I I'm just I gotta say just to her friends and family um who, who knew her way better than we do. Uh, I can I can can only imagine how sad this is for them but just uh just condolences and love to everyone who who knew her yeah uh i hate to follow up that uh touching tribute with uh plugs but i do uh, have to say uh hell on earth the 30 years war on the violent rise of capitalism premieres next wednesday that will be free everywhere you can get chapo trap house on the chapo trap house feed every subsequent episode will be on patreon and then also matt and i are doing a little live launch party show that will be a recording of a supplemental episode plus a q a uh will will be there for the q a part uh matt carp will be joining us that is at littlefield uh the following friday january 20th uh tickets some tickets are still available link will be in description all right guys happy new year happy new year happy, happy new, new year, year everyone